Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EDH RecCast. And my name is Matt Morgan. You heard me right. We're starting off the intros this week with me, and I want to thank my co-host here, Dana Roach. What's going on, buddy? Uh, good evening, Matt. Um, I, I have a joke that was offered up to me at um, Magic Fest, to be Command Fest Indie, mm-hmm. that I just have to throw out there, despite the fact that you didn't start with a dad joke. I am going to. That's fair. Um the, the baby roach said, uh, Papa, what happens if humans spray us with raid? Papa roach responded, suffocation, no breathing. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. I mean, I did meet one of my neighbors, actually. I just moved into a new house and uh, turns out he's a spider and he's a web developer. So it's kind of cool. <laughs> it, it fits. We're, we're, we're mining the same territory this week, apparently. His, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but it's cool when like you find somebody like their whole job is to find bugs. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's it, what he does. it is the last resort. That is, yes. Anyways, we do have a podcast here. Uh, yes, like I said, it is me. It is Dana this week. Uh, Joey's taking a little R&R. But we still do have a great show for you this week. And so we want to make sure we still bring weekly entertainment to everybody. And Dana, we do have a topic this week even. So what is that? We are going to talk about eating your vegetables in EDH. And, and we've talked about that before, or at least we've talked about like that basic saying about how your deck needs to have vegetable cards in it. And, and we're going to talk in, in some depth about kind of what that means. The, the cards you need to be healthy. Um, it'd be pretty easy to eat, you know, pizza and cake all the time, but you, you would probably die if you did that. So. You need to have some vegetables in your diet and you need to have some vegetables in your deck. And we're going to talk about the kind of vegetables you need to have to have a uh, healthy growing commander deck. Well, I mean, it it is fitting. You are the dad. I like dad jokes. So (laughs) we're going to give fatherly advice for uh, how to to grow strong with your deck building process. So, yeah, that's great. But before we get into that, uh, we do need to give our intros. We do need to pay the bills. So uh, first, we want to give a big shout out to Chase, also known as Mana Curves. You can find them on Twitter at Mana Curves. They do all the post-production work and they do a great job. So thank you so much to them. And also, we do have sponsors, too. The EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, the double masters of online retailers. Simply go to EDH Rec and pick the card you like and select the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH Recast, where we have patron tiers of all levels, whether you want to join the Discord community that we have, you want to see all the episodes a day early, there's so many perks that you can get over at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. It's just great. It's so wild how many perks we have and the community that we have over in that Discord. It's pretty worth bragging about. We're very proud of them and everybody seems to have a great time. So if you would like to do that and more, head over to patreon.com slash EDH Recast for all that information and more. And don't forget, we have that shout out that we do every single week. So this week, we want to give a very big shout out to Chris Morales. So Chris, thank you so much for all the support. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming by and supporting us. 
So let's kind of jump right into this this, this main topic here this week um, and talk about the the veggies that you have to put in a deck, the healthy kind of building blocks that make it work. And this is kind of a vague thing, right? Like it's not necessarily easy to categorize a specific card as a veggie um, because there's a lot of cards that you put in decks that make your deck work. What we're kind of thinking of here are the cards that like don't necessarily feel flashy or fun. You know, it's really easy to put that giant draw spell in your deck that's going to, you know, in a perfect world with unlimited mana or something, draw you down um, and get every card in your library or that, you know, that that amazing ad nauseum turn where you're going to flip over a a dozen cards as, as a black draw spell. We're talking about the things that are like much less exciting to put in your deck, but that you need to get the job done, the kind of foundation upon which everything else is built, the stuff that maybe doesn't necessarily feel fun when you're brewing up that list, and that is super tempting sometimes to take out when you <laughs> want to put in that new splashy card. So like those are kind of the things that, that, that I think of as veggie cards and decks, and that's really what I want to talk about here. Um, are just those foundational pieces. Yeah, you hit it right on the head with what you said, how these are cards that more often than not, you're going to want to cut them from the decks for those sexy, flashy cards. That's what you want to cut. You want to cut your your sign-in bloods. You want to cut your your all those like little cards that you kind of overlook. Probably you forget about them because they're just, they're not the cards that you write home about. You don't tell a lot of stories with them, but... You still need them for your decks to make sure you're getting along and in a progressing your own game plan, but two, you're not losing in the process. You know, sometimes you can lose to yourself because you're not playing a bunch of the foundational pieces. You're, you know, you're you're building on sand, as it were. If you, you know, you're a, a house builder, you're Bob the Builder, whatever. So yeah, it's <laughs> it's easy to forget about these cards, but really, like people always say, Commander is a you know you have a 99 card deck, but if you're playing enough cards that you're supposed to you probably have like 85 cards in the deck to really do it because you need a lot of these types of cards in order to make sure that the rest of the deck does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, and and, and sometimes there's not a lot of creativity here necessarily, right? Um, no. The Path to Exile and Swords to Plowshares are just the best white removal spells that have ever been printed and probably ever will be printed, to be honest. So there, there, there's just nothing that's going to be better in in a deck that can run white. So, like, um, I, I hate to use the term staples necessarily, but there are quite a few staples in 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 this category because they're just so efficient. They're they're in many cases kind of cheaply priced. They get the job done in the way something else does. So, like, that also kind of makes them them uninteresting. It's source to plowshares. I'm playing white. I'm playing swords. It's it's it, it's not the most exciting choice either, but. It really, really gets the job done. Well, I think that's kind of why a lot of times when we play together, Dana, your decks always seem to be this smooth running machine because, yes, you still have room for some of those exciting and explosive cards. But so many of your decks, you know, you have enough slots dedicated to these, you know, little piece by piece. You know, we're, we're going to set everything up. We're going to make sure we're, we're running smoothly. You have so many of those types of cards in your decks that... You're like, oh, well, that's why he was able to not miss a land drop because he was playing, you know, enough card draw spells or enough. Well, you weren't playing enough basic lands. We know that already, (laughs) but you were playing enough of those those utility cards, the setup cards to make sure that you were getting to that point where when you're ready to do the thing, all the pieces are in place. And I I, I feel bad because I, I mean, I'm sure we all have gone to 
a local game store or gone to an event or whatever it is and played against someone who they didn't have a lot of those pieces. They either had maybe do nothing cards, maybe some cantrips, or they had the big explosive spells and nothing in between. And maybe they faltered a little bit because they didn't have ways to kind of navigate and get to that point where the deck really starts to be able to do its thing. I mean, Dana, I'm sure you've heard the, the oh, if, if only I would have hit seven lands, my my <laughs> right. Boros Angels deck would have gotten to do its thing. But there, there are ways you can play around that, too, that help you get there more reliably. And this is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and so let's just start jumping into kind of some categories here because we've been talking about card draw here a little bit. So we might as well just talk about card draw. May as well, um, yeah. Uh, I would. I have a feeling like like whenever I play games out in the wild, so to speak, and I just you know in the last six weeks have, in addition to the the LGS where I play, I've played at you know three different command fests. I played in India, I played mm-hmm. in Richmond, I played in Vegas, um, and I played quite a few games at all of those. And I do really think, on average, most people don't run enough card draw, and they don't run enough inexpensive, efficient card draw. They don't run enough of those cards that let you like draw down one or two. They want to play those big home runs. And sometimes you can survive just playing those big home run cards. But like sometimes you just need those those meat and potato cards to let you get to that point in the game where you can actually hit that home run. You need the singles to, to mix metaphors. And I know I've done this before. You need someone <laughs> to get on base kind yes. of before you get that home run. Um, that, that makes it work way, way better. So so let's, let's kind of start talking about this a little bit. Um, white, I guess, is, is the easiest one to start at because there's maybe not a lot to say in white necessarily. <laughs> um, white doesn't really have home run draw spells. Almost all of its stuff is kind of a veggie card. It's almost all efficient, low to the ground things that generate you a little bit of value without being splashy. Yeah, well, I mean, they're getting better-ish with white. Yeah. There, there's a bunch of new cards that they've started to really explore the space. Secret Rendezvous is kind of a controversial card, uh, but also it's, it's kind of a sign that they're, they are working on it. Um, yeah. But like Welcoming Vampire and Mentor of the Meek, those are kind of two cards that Welcoming Vampire is fairly new, but it's also a pretty good step. Mentor of the Meek, I don't remember seeing one, but also it was kind of the marquee white draw spell for a long time because yeah. you have to do things so specifically for white to draw cards or it's tied to your opponents doing something like archivist of Ogma, I think is one of the better white draw spells that has been printed in a long time, but it's also a creature. And you'll notice I mentioned three creatures with a card draw for white. So it's, it's getting there, but also that they're, it's real slow. It's getting there slowly. There's, there's been a lot of definitely creatures that have draw stapled on, but you mentioned secret rendezvous. Um, there, there's a few cards like that. Wedding ring would be one. Yes, where they, where they've actually given given us some non creature draw in white, and, and they're definitely being cautious. But I I would wager based on what we've seen in a couple of years, there'll be a lot more things to talk about. I think they're still kind of figuring it out, and I I feel like they're probably afraid to to put anything in that's too strong that might impact other formats as well. Yeah, so I think they're being more cautious with white. But I do feel like they're generally moving in the right direction. It, it, it's the right direction, but sadly, it pales in comparison to, to every other color. Yes, right? absolutely. Like it, this sure. is definitely white is, you'd be hard pressed to argue that white is not fifth in the, the color rankings for, for card draw. But blue, I mean, there's just a yeah, slew yeah. of just, I mean, how many divination variants do we need? Because well, there's there's a thousand of them. What's interesting about blue, though, here is, 
that is kind of a recent development. Um, Blue has for forever had ginormous draw spells, mm-hmm. you know, particularly like, you know, blue X ones where you could draw all of the cards if you had all of the mana. And they've they've long had cantrips, you know, brainstorm, um, portent, um, ponder is at this point even relatively old. So they had those things to let you dig down. But it's really only been in the last like five-ish years where we've gotten some nice like mid-range efficient draw spells in blue, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, Secrets of the Golden City is one. Um, two of my favorite are Winged Words and Chart of Course. Those are re- very new as well. So that's kind of a new thing in blue where we've gotten some like efficient mid-range draw spells. And I think that's what, when I think of a veggie card, that's what I think of as like those real low to the ground, two to three mana that put you a couple cards up. Those are the ones I really like. That's the sweet spot for me. Like I tend to not run cantrips in my decks because I'm not really looking for a combo piece. I'm not, I'm not looking for a card. I'm just looking for cards. Like I don't want one thing. I just want things. Um, <laughs> so for me, that that really hits the sweet spot, and, and and that's definitely something that Blue has really improved on. I think in the last few years. Yeah, I do agree that the shift from it's all or nothing with blue, and mm-hmm. and we we're not here to tell you you should play Ristic Study because that, that's kind of a well, well no duh right yes. type of comment like Ristic Study, Mystic Remora, those are types of cards crazy that, cards yeah we're yeah we don't need to tell you to play Ristic Study because those are fun to put in decks Ristic I mean not for anybody else but like no, for yourself like if you're <laughs> if you're playing a blue deck you're like I am slamming Ristic Study I can't wait to find a slot for that whereas you're like eh, chart a course. That's like not the yeah. most fun thing to find to find a room for in your deck, despite the fact that I, I it's a fantastic card, I think. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. It, it, whether you're playing graveyard decks and you need to discard a card or you just want to attack with something random and just pay two to draw two, like those types of effects where you, it's actual card advantage. You're, you're, you're spending yeah. one card to get two or three or however many more. And Secrets of Golden City, that's probably one of my favorite just three mana, more often than not, you're going to draw three. That's just with how Commander works as a format. Yeah. But there, like, there are tons and tons of cards in this category because there's always something going on in Standard that's going to play with the kind of the set mechanics of one of the new Standard sets. Right. I know Behold the Multiverse is one of those cards where it's uh, four mana, three and a blue for an instant, scry two and draw two cards, or you can foretell it. There's always going to be types of cards like that coming around in standard. And if you're playing something like a foretell deck or you, you care about playing cards from exile or you like to scry cards. I know Joey has mm-hmm. the scry sphinx where every time you scry, you just draw those many cards instead. Behold, the multiverse gets extremely powerful there. So there's, there's always going to be these types of cards usually printed at common or uncommon. They're not going to be flashy or expensive cards. And I think that's why people forget so many of these because yeah, like we talked about, like they're, they're not flashy cards that you get super excited to play but they're cards you should be playing because it just helps you generally throughout all your games absolutely and this is an area you know to, to move to the next the color here where black has excelled for a long period of time mm-hmm. uh, particularly you know black does have some big draw spells but black really excels in those efficient cheap draws the the knight's whispers and these sign and bloods of the world um but in the last few years one area where they've really been kind of pushing black instead of trading your life to draw a couple cards they very much want you to trade Mm -hmm. permanence you control creatures sometimes artifacts to sacrifice them to something like village rites or altars reap or morbid curiosity or something spells that cost one or two mana and you sacrifice something to draw a couple cards black is fantastic at this and if you are playing a black deck 
find room for multiple different versions of these. Find room for a couple of the efficient draw spells that let you trade a couple life points to get up a card or two and find room for a couple of the sacrifice ones to either swap your tokens for cards or swap a creature that's dying for a few cards. Like someone, you know, board wipes one black mana off a village rights to draw two cards is a great trade. Well, and, and this used to be a green effect, like Momentous Fall yeah. was a powerful card for a long time or greater good cards that we're probably going to talk about here in a few seconds. But yeah, moving this over to black, this gave black a lot of flexibility, especially because I would say 98% of aristocrats decks where you care about sacrificing cards and permanents and creatures and all that, this just feeds right into what those aristocrats decks were doing already. So having them be in black makes a lot of sense from a design standpoint, but also it gave some more flexibility to black decks. Yes, Knight's Whisper, Sign of Blood, all of those types of cards, they're they are great in trading the life. But yeah, like you said, trading permanence for cards is something that is extremely powerful because sometimes you might be running out of life. You only have so much of that resource. And so being able to manage other resources for more cards, that's just more play in your decks. Well, and we talked earlier about how it's sometimes tricky to convince people to find slots for these kind of cards mm-hmm. that don't feel particularly powerful. They are just efficient and kind of foundational. Well, when you're talking about sacrifice effects, things like village rights where you're trading creatures for cards, that's also not terribly intuitive for new players, especially. Mm-hmm. Like if you were someone building a deck and you look at a card like Ultra's Reap, like I have to trade one of my creatures to, to draw just two cards, that seems like a terrible trade. So like that's all that that's the kind of thing also that's that's kind of difficult to convince, especially new players that they want to do. But it it can be amazingly powerful. And it's the kind of thing that I think you just have to be an established player to kind of understand where that push and pull is and, and how useful that can be. I would even argue that trading life for cards was a lesson sure. that yeah. as a newer player, I didn't really fully comprehend the power of. I, I thought Sylvan Library, like, why would you ever pay four life for one card and then read the bones? Why would I lose two life to draw two cards? The, the, those types of cards just, I, I, I think once I realized the power of having more cards in hand, it really kind of opened my eyes. And I think yeah. a lot of newer players just in general, why would a shock land be so powerful? Why would I pay two life when, you know, this other yeah. land will come in untapped? Uh, there's a whole lot of play with paying life. And I think maybe that's why I didn't like black from the beginning. Like I, I <laughs> it took me a while to warm up to why <laughs> black be, yeah. can be powerful. Yeah. Well, I mean, similarly, when you move into red, the the effect there is one that maybe isn't necessarily intuitive right away. Mm-hmm. Red tends red as impulse draw is their draw mechanic, which is a mechanic where you tend to have to play a card before the end of turn or the end of next turn sometimes, which is the, the better version of it. So mm-hmm. you'll you know exile two cards or something, and you can play them um, until this time period has passed. Um, that isn't always the most intuitive thing for new players either. That that does seem not terribly powerful, and I, I get why people don't love it. But it's it's one of my favorite changes to the game in recent years is mm-hmm. is the the addition of impulse draw to red. I, I I really do appreciate how how powerful it is and what a kind of unique and interesting and very red feeling mechanic it is. Well, yeah, there's a reason that Jessica's Will is widely regarded as one of the most powerful red yeah, spells in the past exactly. few years. Because you just get you get access to so many cards, you get access to so much that's going on. But also, but I'm also a big fan of the the red spells that loot away cards. Or they, they draw you, and then you discard a couple, or you discard first, and then you draw some cards. 
stuff like big score i'm a big fan of thrill of possibility where you're able to take these dead cards or maybe you're drawing your seventh eighth land in your mono red deck you're able to to discard one of those and get two more business spells i love the card filtering like that because if you're playing red and you're not having access to maybe blue or black you, you want to be able to have just a mass amount of like options to have. Mm-hmm. And so getting rid of your worst cards for an opportunity to get an even better card, those are where I think red has really picked it up in the past couple of years too, especially problem or not all the treasure that they're stapling onto some yeah. of these effects. Yeah. Like it's just turning into rituals that are giving you card selection, which I think is a fantastic shift. Probably one of my favorite ones because faithless looting is in uh, over 50,000 decks, extremely popular. And that's just draw two cards and discard two. That leaves you down a card still because you you don't come up any cards. Right. Whereas a lot of these other ones, like Faithless Looting, you you discard a card. You're at least coming even with the cards and you're still getting something in return. So Impulse Draw, the Looting Draw spells, these are, these are a lot of the veggies that they're not exciting to play. And I see a lot of people, well, I'd just rather play another business spell. Like, well, these make your business spells better because you're getting to them quicker. Yeah, like, you know, I, I completely understand the desire to to get a, a grip of seven cards off some kind of a wheel effect mm-hmm. that feels fantastic. But there's a lot of collateral effects when you wheel. You're you're putting cards into the graveyard of perhaps a graveyard player. You you know, there's multiple players there. So that's, that's like that many more people that you are also granting access to answers that can stop you, et cetera. I'm not, it's not saying wheels are bad or anything, but I'm like, there's, there's a lot of complication there. And unless your deck is built around wheeling, you, you know, you can't just cast wheels. You need to have some of those things that let you kind of take a little bit of an advantage over your opponent and get to the point where maybe you, maybe you can cast that wheel in a way that's most effective for you. Um, and so, you know, we, I guess we talked about reds, um, kind of unique thing. Green has their own version of this as well. For a long time, most of Green's draws was was creature based. It was either on creatures or it was something that cared about creatures, and that's I guess still very much something that Green is doing. But there's a lot of a lot of these are kind of home run cards as well. The the rich cards expertises of the world are giant draw spells and. You can't just build your deck around hoping you're you're going to have five mana and a big body in play to draw anything. That that's mm. that's a recipe for disaster. If that's all you're going to be doing. Yeah, you, you can't play around the, the big splashy ones. And like, I love Rich Cards Expertise. It's probably one of my favorite cards. Absolutely. But also, yeah, you can't depend on it because you need things to be going somewhat right. Uh, but like, it also feels kind of weird that Harmonize. <laughs> I find myself almost cutting from from decks. In defense of Harmonize, I will say, because, you know, talking about re- relying on having five mana and a big creature, um, while it's definitely been been outpowered, there's been plenty of situations in a green deck where, like, someone's board wiped and I'm holding a, you know, Soul's Majesty or a Hunter's Insight in hand and there's a great Henge in play and I have no creatures in hand. Like, I can't, so I, I have draw spells that I can't do anything with. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a card that's going to draw you three every single time, no questions asked. So while it may have been outpowered, that doesn't mean there isn't also a place for those those kind of efficient draw spells in green as well. It's 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 harmonized to me as a very definition of kind of a of, of a veggie draw spell in green. Well, yeah, because it's green, so of course it's a vegetable. So there we go. Makes, okay, you that, got make, me. that makes sense. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like there's it. When it's it's just funny because green probably is just a. a 
if you compare it like the power graph of green's card draw it mirrors what reds did except did it so much faster right because yes. green green used to be oh it was purely creature based but like green's probably competing with blue and black for the best card draw color they it just it's been doing so many good things the past i would say three years yeah definitely well an advantage green has as well is because it's kind of new to the game for those big, those good draw spells, mm-hmm. they're available in standard. They're available versus where like the colors that, that that had draw spells a long time ago, they're not as available or the price has gone up on them. You know, Risty mm-hmm. Study is not a cheap card anymore because it it's one that hasn't had a, it's, it's an old card for one. And most of the new printings have been kind of like some, you know, foil or a premium printing. So that's mm-hmm. one advantage, I think, that that's maybe not an in-game advantage, but for a brewer, a lot of the green stuff is, is much more efficiently costed literally to buy. Yeah. And when you think about it, Beast Whisperer used to, that, that effect yeah. of whenever you cast a creature spell, you draw a card, that type of effect used to cost six mana because you had like Soul of the Harvest and cards like that. Right. So the fact that it's at four mana even, that in itself is kind of a, a pretty strong effect of power creep there because, yeah, you have you used to have to pay way more mana and that those effects didn't come online till much later. Right, So exactly. yeah, the fact that you're getting these, you're not seeing that type of, of creep and and. and power advantage going to other colors green is just running away with this so i think we've covered in pretty great detail here all the the yeah. different uh, draw things that that kind of make up those building blocks of decks um i think answer is probably the next thing i want to talk about here a little bit because you, you just need to solve problems like in, in every edh game there's a problem you are going to have to deal with and every time a new set comes out and someone makes a change to their deck Presumably, they're adding in a bigger problem for you than the one they replaced. So (laughs) as time goes on, there are more and more problems I need to get dealt with. Um, Mm -hmm. I I just feel feel like like for me personally, I I definitely have not – I don't run less removal than I once did. That's that's the kind of thing where I'm always looking for new slots or new ways to put cards into my decks that deal with a problem. Well, and you love playing around with different – different removal type of cards too. I mean, Deadly Rollick and a lot of these different newer mm-hmm. type of removal spells, you're just finding ways to kind of play around with them. I know there's there's few. I know Strixhaven had a couple for you. There's just a lot that in the removal field, I guess I should say, they're, they're playing around with a lot of this design space and they're giving you nice, efficient ways. Blue actually doesn't isn't terrible about being able to do one, one-on-one removal anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's... it's Removal, like if we had to say like card draws like broccoli, where you have to have it so your deck flows, if you get what I'm... Yeah, I I hear you. I hear you. But but, like I would say removal is kind of the carrots where you're able to like defend and help your immune system from being attacked. Sure. Fends off all those bad things. So like everything plays a role. This is making sure that you're you're healthy enough to survive the game. And that's what the the removal category is going to do. I mean, is is ridiculously simplified as it sounds... You can't win a game if you lose a game the turn before to someone else's threat. Mm-hmm. Like you have to put yourself in that position to win, and along the way, as you as you move to that endpoint where you're hoping to win, you're just going to need to deal with other people trying to do the same thing. Well, why don't we talk about some of these staples then? I mean, we already mentioned the 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 best white spells, which are probably two of the most efficient single target removal spells. Yeah. Swords to Plowshares, Path to Exile. One white mana, get rid of a creature, you're exiling it, you're giving them a little bit of an upside, but 
the one mana to escape certain death more often than not, that's almost always a trade you're going to take. Absolutely. Yeah. One white mana to solve a problem uh, unless it has hexproof because it's it's an exile effect as well. You're mm-hmm. giving them something almost every time the life or the land is almost always going to be way less valuable than than something you're removing. Um, and if it isn't, then you probably shouldn't be removing it, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I've seen a lot of people waste single target removal on something that wasn't threatening to end the game anytime soon. And that's kind of a learning lesson of, of growing as a player. Absolutely. But also, like, white doesn't just do single target removal really well. White does board like White, you cannot compete with white when it comes to board wipes, whether you want just a straight up Wrath of God effect or you want some of those new and kind of five mana modular wraths where it's going to destroy a certain type of thing to accommodate what you're doing in your own deck. White is just top of the heap when it comes to board wipes. This is where things do get actually a little bit more fun too. Like it's not necessarily very fun um, adding sorts of plowshares and path to exile into your white deck because they're just so amazing. Um, but the Wrath Effects, it's a different deal. There, there's a lot of like personalization and tweaking and choices you can make there based on what your deck wants. You know, do you have a bunch of creatures that have plus one counters on them? Well, maybe you want to play a Wrath like Damning Verdict that doesn't actually hit any of the, the creatures you have with plus one counters on them. Or you're playing some kind of a white deck that has a bunch of artifact creatures, so like organic extinction would not touch your creatures. Like there's a lot of tweaking and customization you can do in white, particularly in the field of wraths, that you really can't with your like targeted creature removal. Yeah, I, we we've gone on record several times and talked about how much we love five mana wraths because there's awesome ways to to play around. Like fumigate if you're playing a life gain deck right. is fantastic because you gain a life for every creature that was destroyed. So there's a lot of room to play around in white that you didn't have with card draw in this and the other categories so yeah it's nice that white is able to bring some usefulness not exciting like we're talking about the vegetables still right yes but th- but they're cards that are going to help you win or at least not lose right whereas again blue blue actually isn't terrible like we said earlier there's there's a bunch of stuff like reality shift is one of the most popular blue cards in the format uh, Pongify and Rapid Hybridization are two other destroy creature. You give them a 3-3, which is kind of a trade-off, and it's one mana to get rid of a problem. More often than not, is going to be a great trade-off. Yeah, those three spells you named are fantastic. And you also have cards like Raven Form and Resculpt that, that also will hit mm-hmm. um, our artifacts, which is really, really nice. That's not something Blue had access to previously. And being able to do that in blue, if you if you're playing in a color like if you're playing in Demir, for example, where you don't have access to to that kind of removal, that's really really useful. And again, it's not the most fun thing in the world. I, I don't like giving someone that four four elemental off Resculpt at all, but I like being able to remove a problematic artifact, and that's not something that was really easy to do in blue before. So um, while not the most exciting card to add to my deck. I've got resculpted in a in a whole bunch of blue decks currently. Yeah, Raven form. It, it also like having them be sorcery speed. That's where I think they kind of lose a little bit of their luster. Yeah. But if you're playing, if you're not playing white, you're not playing red. You're just playing answers, and yeah. they're totally serviceable too. So I'm not going to fault anybody for not having access to those and playing some of these other single target removal. But also the mass bounce that blue has, whether it's aetherize because <laughs> it's always aetherize, yes, uh, or. or Aether spouts, anything like that. Blue also does a pretty good job of having some defensive board wipes. And obviously, Cyclonic Rift, that's not a card that's going to be in this category of vegetables. It's 
wildly powerful. But some of these other spells that people just kind of forget about and they're not excited to play, they're also pretty dang effective. Yeah, I mean, Rift is kind of the one of those like huge splashy staple spells. Aether, Aetherize that you mentioned isn't. Aether Spelt isn't. But they are really, really effective. And those are the kind of things that's super easy to like skip over because you want to just run those backbreaking cards. Uh, Aetherize is pretty backbreaking too in a lot of situations. And, and, and it's really easy to miss and, and just want to run those, those rifts of the world. But there's a lot of really good blue mass bounce things that do a ton of work. And, well, and since we're going to talk about a lot of mass bounce or mass board wipes, black, I would say probably a second compared to white when it comes to board wipes. I mean, you've got Toxic Deluge, which is also top of the heap when it comes to black cards. Decree of Pain, if you want to get really expensive and have a lot of upside. But I mean, even the, the single target removal is pretty dang good. I mean, you have every variant of Doomblade around up <laughs> yeah. to, I know, I know Dana, you're, you're a big fan of Baleful Mastery, which came out in Strixhaven, which was an exile, a creature or a planeswalker, but also has an additional cost or optional cost, I guess I should say, where you can actually just pay two mana for it, but you let somebody else draw a card. And I, I know you're pretty big on that. So what are some other cards in this category you think you would, you'd put in there? Um, you know, they're, they're, Black has so many options, and, and whether it's mm-hmm. the, the creatures that, that, that do an edict or there's edict spells as well, like where you're forcing your opponents to sacrifice stuff. Mm-hmm. Those kind of effects are can, can be backbreaking in a whole lot of situations. You know, the Fleshbag Marauder being the oldest and one that still sees a ton of play in a whole bunch of decks. But there's also a lot of good one-sided ones. There's things like Soul Shatter, Vona's Hunger is a really easy one that I think people skip over from way back in Ixalan. Um, it has Ascend. So again, you, we mentioned Secrets of the Golden City. That's a very easy thing in Commander to hit. And it makes each opponent sacrifice a creature and a field of the city's blessing. Well, they sacrifice half the creatures they control rounded up. For three mana at instant speed, that card is amazing. Yeah, I, I am a big fan. Every time that I've seen you play that card, I feel like it does more than it should. Because I'm just like, oh man, this is... This is getting pretty out of hand. So yeah, a lot of flexibility in kind of what black can be doing with its removal, which is very, very stark contrast to red that it it does its best. <laughs> That's a perfect way to describe red. Um, and part of that is probably because for so many years, red's removal was predicated on like direct damage. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily scale in commander nearly as well as it does in other formats. So, so as a result, if you're trying to like use direct removal spells in Commander, particularly in the non-competitive, non-CEDH areas where people are casting bigger, splashier creatures, you just can't rely on that lightning bolt nearly as much as you can in, you know, say modern to remove a thing. Well, and I think that's kind of why the the big staple here that we're going to talk about, Chaos Warp, that's why it's such a staple because it's one of the few things in red that's able to reliably hit any target and get rid of it. Yeah. And yes, there is some downside because you have to shuffle the target into the library and you have to flip a card. Maybe give them something scarier. But I know you have a theory that you've <laughs> you've kind of spouted off um, a couple times on the podcast. I, I have. Yeah. I mean, like if if you are routinely hitting things that are scarier than what you hit with a chaos warp, you maybe need to pick better targets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't target that grizzly bears with your chaos warp. That's the card that you use for the blightsteel colossus that's swinging your direction and going to kill you. It's not a value card. It's an emergency. Oh my god! Switch that you slam when something her- terrible is about to happen. And if that's what you're using chaos warp for, it's amazing. It solves any problem, 
And do you care what gets turned over if you're using it to stop a boy steal from hitting you? I don't. Yeah, it, well, and with Wild Magic Surge, one of the new cards from Baldur's Gate, uh, kind of doing a really, really good Chaos Warp impression. That's Wild Magic Surge already has made it into a higher percentage of decks than a lot of cards that you would not believe in red. Yeah. Just because it's so flexible, it's so reliable, you're able to destroy a permanent and opponent controls, and then you just flip something over until they hit something that shares a, a card type with whatever you targeted. So if they if you get rid of a land, they're going to get a land back. If you get rid of a creature, they're going to get a creature back. But the same applies for what we talked about with white. You know, make sure that you're hitting the targets worth spending a card on. If you're spending on something kind of measly, then yeah, you're not going to have the best results. But if you're hitting a game-ending permanent with some of these cards, you're going to have better luck if it's the best thing you could be. If you know that you're not going to flip into that, then yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Well, and Red has a pretty decent suite of sweepers these days as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, Blasphemous Act is a super splashy removal spell, but like, you know, Chandra's Ignition can be a win condition in a lot of decks. Like, there are a, a plenty of Red mass sweepers that get the job done these days, and maybe they're not all as splashy or as exciting as Chandra's Ignition or Blasphemous Act, but if they solve the problem and clear creatures off the board when you are behind... That's all that really matters. And, and you should have, I would say, one or two different ways to do that in most decks. And, and red can do that if it needs to. And I've had great success with chain reaction. Now, it, it's kind of board dependent because it only deals damage for however many creatures are on the battlefield. But if you're getting overrun by a token swarm, it's four mana to, to take care of everything, which is perfectly fine. That's what board wipes are doing in other colors. So why wouldn't chain reaction be something you want to consider playing? Yeah, red, the single target removal is pretty limited, and there's not really a whole lot of flashy cards in here because the, the pool is pretty shallow over here. But yep. there are still some at least serviceable options that, yeah, they're, they're veggie cards. They're cards that you're going to want to put in there because they're at least going to help you not lose some more games. Well, you know, in, in green is maybe hurting in this area a little bit. Green has plenty of artifact and enchantment removal. Mm -hmm. Creatures, it, it's much trickier. They're, they're kind of relying on fight spells to deal with creatures. But, you know, when you have access to cards like Kroos and Grip or, or Nature's Claim or Deglamour that will solve a whole lot of artifact and enchantment problems, I, I don't feel too bad for the fact that Green is relying on creatures fighting one another to remove other creatures. Yeah, green green is allowed to be bad at something. I don't know yes. if the people <laughs> in the Wizards of the Coast office know this or not, but green's allowed to be bad at some things. And let's not forget, like, it, 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 we say that, but, like, Kenris Transformation and Song of the Dryads and Lignify mm -hmm. permanently solve a whole lot of creature issues as well in green, and they're really easy ones to, uh, to forget about or not run in your decks because... Again, they're also not super flashy. Well, yeah. But I, oh, man. I struggle to say Song of the Dryads isn't super flashy because that... True. A, that card is getting pretty expensive now with price, but also, see, I just like my friends being able to ramp a little bit better. So if I can turn, <laughs> their, can help with that. turn their scary Eldrazi into a tree, then I'm just helping them out. That's I'm doing them a favor. You are a gentleman, man. Always a gentleman. But but yes, the, the single target removal... Probably a little bit lacking. There's Azuri's Predation and a couple other mass fight spells. But really, green green's removal suite, like, it's kind of lacking. But also, green rarely is by itself. You're always pairing it with something else that's going to shore up some of these weaknesses that apparently it does have. Yeah. So, yeah, it's okay that green maybe has kind of a shallow pool when it comes to the removal spells. 
Well, in 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 art of you know, there, there's colorless things that you can run in, in in decks, and most of them probably aren't worth the heavy investment that's required to to blow something up unless you have a lot of recursion or something. Um, but mm-hmm. Joey's not going to want to hear this, but he's not here. So, 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 so he's never going to hear it. Yeah, that's fine. Right. So we can talk briefly about Soul Guide Lantern, Lantern of the Lost, any of the artifacts that deal with graveyards. I am a firm believer that you should have one of those in every deck. No, Soul Guide Lantern is not a lot of fun. It's not very exciting when you're making cuts to your brand new deck and you're at 103 cards and you're looking at like two really cool mythic creatures in a Soul Guide Lantern. It's very tempting to cut that Soul Guide Lantern. It is. But there are so many decks that play out of the graveyard and having a way to deal with them is monumentally important and it's the kind of thing that i have to force myself to run those kind of vegetable answer cards but i do i put one of those in in pretty much every deck i have yeah those are kind of the definition of veggies that yes you don't love keeping these in but you do begrudgingly because you know well i'm gonna need to it's gonna come up sooner or later so you keep it in the deck like i said begrudgingly yeah, I, I don't like putting Soul Guide Lantern in decks, but I like it more than losing to the graveyard player. Well, you know what I do like putting into certain things is challenging the stats. And that segues courtesy of Joseph M. Schultz. Uh, not really, <laughs> but we do need to move along. We do have yes. challenge the stats to get into. So since I am a gentleman, I'm going to turn over to you, Dana. What is your challenge this week? Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Okay, so so there's a card from the the uh, second Innistrad block, Second Harvest, that lets you make a token copy of uh, each token you control. It's in thirty nine thousand decks currently right now. That's a crazy amount of decks, but it's a really really powerful card. However, there's a variant on it from from way back um, about twenty years ago, Parallel Evolution. Three green green, a sorcery. For each creature token in play, its controller puts a creature token into play that's a copy of that creature. So it doesn't quite do everything that Second Harvest does, and your opponents can take advantage of it. But if you are playing a token deck, you are going to have so many more tokens, for the most part, than everyone else in play is going to. And it's just a second way to do what Second Harvest does. In addition, it has flashback for four green, green, green. So you can use it a second time, or if it gets milled away somehow or forced to discard, you still have an option to cast it, which you don't with Second Harvest. It's currently in just 2,300 decks compared to the, again, 39,000 from Second Harvest. It's definitely not as good, but I, I do think it's good enough if you are playing the kind of deck that wants Second Harvest. There's a good chance that deck can also do really good things with Parallel Evolution. I think it should see 
at least a little more play than it's currently seeing. Well, the, the, the flashback on Parallel Evolution is what I think yeah. saves it because you're able to cast it and then cast it again. Or like you said, you get milled, it gets countered. You're able to fall back and you have something to do later on in the game. I, I think flashback is probably one of the more reliable spells or reliable mechanics, I should say, when it comes to just being able to get additional value out of your cards. And Parallel Evolution has that. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, well, my challenge this week, we'll move on to that. Uh, comes from one of our listeners, uh, Jimmy the Bass in our Discord, which you can join over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, has a challenge for Ashin Two Heavens as one dex, and that card is Reconnaissance. So Reconnaissance is one white mana for an enchantment that says you can remove target attacking creature you control from combat and untap it. And it was an activated ability. I'm not sure how they would template it if they ever reprinted this card, but that's for another day. But Jimmy says, I feel like 20% of Ashin, two heavens as one decks are running in reconnaissance, and that feels a little bit low. Ashin is a deck that wants to be attacking. You can't always guarantee that you will be able to attack safely. Reconnaissance allows you to get those attack triggers without fully committing and getting your board killed by opponent's blockers, or you can give them pseudo-vigilance to, to avoid dying on the crackback by using it at the end of the combat step after damage is dealt, but before your creatures are no longer considered to be attacking. And I really like this challenge. I think Reconnaissance is just one of those forgotten gems that so many people forget about because it's only had one printing all the way back in Exodus, and it's now like it's not a cheap card. It is $15 or so. And for a lot of players, that's just out of the budget. So yeah, there's a couple factors fighting against it on why it's not included more. But Jimmy the Bass, you are absolutely correct that this card should be in a lot more Sheen decks because you just want to attack. You just want to get those attack triggers. And if you have bad blocks set up, you can just pull them back out of combat. It's perfectly great. I think this price kind of got a little out of hand when Narset and Lightning Master decks started popping up because you just want to get all those Narset triggers. Uh, but yeah, anything that likes attack triggers, you probably just want to give Reconnaissance a shake. But yeah, hopefully it gets reprinted soon because, yeah, I love this card. It's great, but it's also as old as Joey. So maybe <laughs> right, that's why right. people forgot about it. I, I mean, the reality is if you're playing a white deck that attacks, which is most white decks, mm -hmm. you're probably not wrong putting Reconnaissance in, even if you do nothing else with it, but give your creature pseudo vigilance. Card is fantastic and it definitely should see more play. The, the thing holding it back, there's probably plenty of people that don't even know it exists because it hasn't had a reprint. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, the, the one printing all the way back in Exodus, which was the first set that had colored set symbols to signify their rarity. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a good sign for just people remembering it exists. Yeah. But anyways, well, let's get back into the main topic then. Uh, so we have another category that we want to hit when it comes to vegetables. We're going to talk about the spinach of your decks that make them big and strong and be able to do all these big, great things. And that is the ramp spells. And so we'll start off with white. Dana, I know we don't have a lot of options, but what are some white ramp I don't. I, that doesn't exist. White ramp doesn't exist. Let's just call I it mean, there. I mean, there, there's a there's a few things <laughs> they they tend to be like a catch up mechanic. Uh -huh. um, if someone else has ramped, you too can ramp. White tries to do everything as fairly as possible. Um, and, and this is, uh, as with kind of the draw mechanic, this is something that that Watsi is still exploring, trying to design for. So, you know, Keeper of the Accord has been around a couple years now. But Weathered Wayfair has been around longer than that. We've just gotten things like Deep Gnome Terramancer. So so White's getting cards that are letting letting you ramp. And again, particularly in colors like white, 
this isn't the most exciting thing to do. Even if you're just, just ramping in any color with artifacts, you know, sure, Soul Ring's fun, but like running that, that sixth or seventh mana rock isn't the most fun thing to do. But not being able to play the same amount of spells your opponents who have ramped out are able to play is, is way less fun than, than just having to uh, cast a couple mana rocks. So this is an easy thing to skimp on. And, and one thing I've noticed from people that are, are kind of more casual players who've been playing a long time is it is easy to pull out a mana rock here or there, especially if, if you're you're playing a color like white, where you're like, oh, I can get away with running like one or two less of these. It's it's an easy thing to skimp on, and long term, you are going to pay the price if you can't play the game at the same speed everyone else is playing it at. Yeah, I mean, Archaeomancer's map is another one, but like, yeah, I also feel that some of these cards that we're mentioning in white, they're not, they don't qualify as veggies, like the boring cards that we talk about because. Everybody knows that they're great. Yeah. We don't have to tell you that a $20 card is pretty dang powerful because that's what Deep Gnome Terramancer is. Right. It's a $20 card because it's doing something that white just doesn't do very well, where it's getting lands for yourself when other people are ramping more. Archaeomancer's map. It's a catch-up card, yes, but it's also probably the best at what white is able to do, which is why people are so aware of it because these cards just don't come along very often. So when we do get one of these cards, that's going to be great. I mean, tithe is a card that we just aren't, we're never going to get again. We're never going to get something like that for multiple reasons. Right. And so whenever we do get something, people just become aware of it pretty often if it's worth running, because I know we, well, cartographer's Hawk was a card that wants, was like, well, look, we're giving, giving you ramp. And nobody really cared because it, it, yeah, they they tried, they tried, they tried. The, the problem is, well, the the white ramp spells are competing with mana rocks, and mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure how much they want to to give white effects that are better than just running a bunch of mana rocks. Yeah. To to, to jump over to blue, for example, that's really what blue has. Like blue is almost entirely relying on on mana rocks and I've never heard anyone complain about blue's lack of ramp. Like mm -hmm. you can do just fine in a color if all you're doing is running, you know, eight to 10 mana rocks. Well, and, and I think too, it almost would have been a little bit better if they wouldn't have backed off white getting treasure cards too. Yes. Agreed. That's, that's probably another factor in it, but yeah, blue. Absolutely. I, and I think maybe it's because blue is kind of more recognized as an artifact centric color where white isn't. And so people are more willing to accept the fate of, oh, I'm playing mono blue. That means I have to play eight different mana rocks, but it's the same eight mana rocks that are in every other mono blue deck because monocolor mana rocks, they're, they're kind of a finite thing these days. Yeah. And, and like, like we said, it's just an easy thing to, to skimp out on or an easy thing to swap out once you're looking to, you know, put that new splashy cool card into your deck. Yeah. It, it black, I mean, really, because we've we've addressed this before. We talked about like Boros. It's not just Boros has problems ramping. So everyone who who's, isn't green for the most part doesn't have access to a lot of ramp. Mm -hmm. Black really doesn't. Like in black, you've got a few things to make treasure. You have some mana doublers. You know things like Crypt Gast, I guess. But those are also things you can't really necessarily cast until turn four or five. And they don't necessarily do anything until the turn after. You're, you're going to use your whole turn to cast them for the most part. So they're, they're definitely not as as efficient in the short term as just putting a mana rock out right away. But like sometimes that's what you need to do. Like sometimes you just need to to, to resign yourself to the fact that I'm 
going to need to put a Crypt Ghast in this deck so I can at least surge ahead from somebody. And that's that's not always the most exciting thing to do. There's a lot of Crypt Ghast has been printed a ton of times. It's just not an exciting card, but it can do a ton of work in a mono black deck. All the ramp in black, I would say, is the flashy stuff. Everybody knows about the Cabal yeah. Coffers Urborg combo where you turn all your lands into swamps and then you activate Cabal Coffers to make a bunch of mana. But people kind of use that as a crutch, I would say, sometimes, at least in the theory crafting of their decks and the actual execution, because you do have to kind of tutor it out. But if you're playing a black deck without green in it, say you're playing Demir or, or Rakdos colors, you're probably having to play the same amount of mana rocks that Mono Blue is because you still need to get that mana. You still need to get that together. Or you're finding ways, at least like Bolus' Citadel, which is another splashy card, but you're working around mana because you're able to pay life for things. So black and blue, yeah, like there's not a whole lot. Yet there's like black market where you're able to get mana for every creature that dies. And you get to slowly accrue that over time. That can be a pretty splashy card too, though, because, man, it's not a yeah. cheap card. It's been printed. It's the same, same as Cryptcast. It's been printed a whole bunch. It's still not a cheap card. Yeah, I, I think with black, you're also kind of in the same boat blue as where you just just need to resign yourself to the fact that you're going to have to run a bunch of mana rocks, and that's not exciting, but that's what you're going to have to do. And I guess black has a few rituals too, but but that's kind of moved over to red in recent years. Mm -hmm. And red does have ritual style effects where they can like cast a spell that makes them mana. Um, actually, you know, mana geyser that makes you a mana for all the tapped lands your opponents control. Mana Geyser's in 50,000 decks, so plenty of people know about it and are running it. If I'm being honest, that's probably not enough. Mana Geyser <laughs> is a back-breaking card, and you know, if it's in 50,000 decks, clearly it's something that's splashy at that point if that many people are running it. But it's the kind of thing that I personally sometimes, when I'm building a red deck... I put it in that starting list and I'm always very tempted to pull it out just because while it's explosive, it's also maybe not the most exciting card in the world. It's just letting you take a big turn. And then I cast a mana geyser where I make 14 mana or something and completely change the game. And then I remember that's why this is in most of my red decks because it's amazing. Yeah, the, the rituals, I, I wish they would do a little bit more with yeah. in ways that weren't super big and splashy because... Seething Song, it just doesn't get a whole lot of love. And I, I understand why, because it's three mana to get five. Yeah. And it's only you're only able to use that, that one turn. And that's why I think in the world of Commander, it doesn't hold up because everybody's accruing these long-term resources where red, it's getting those resources, but you have to use it right away. And yes, red has access to treasures, but most of the cards that make treasures are so crazy explosive that they don't really count as a veggie card. Ancient Copper Dragon is not a veggie. Dockside Extortionist is not a veggie card. They are just insanely powerful cards. And again, if you're playing red without green, playing a lot of mana rocks. That's just kind of how it is. Well, it, well and so let's talk green briefly. Green <laughs> has the ramp everyone wants and everyone knows. And, you know, you you play your nature's lores and your far seeks and your cultivates. I guess not far seek and mono green as we challenge that stat. Fairly as we, we have seen that in action, yes. Um, but like green has a ton of really good land ramp spells. The, you're bringing those lands out. Those lands can, there's plenty of effects that double the mana that produced from those lands. So that's really nice. Lands are much tougher to remove. Um, removing lands and mass is kind of verboten in a lot of different commander areas as well. So it's it's a it's the safest way to ramp probably. 
So everyone kind of knows about that. But again, this is not the most fun thing to put in, in your deck, particularly the, the Kadamas reaches and the cultivates that like aren't hyper efficient, but they aren't those big splashy, you know, traverse the outlands effects either. Um, but they get the job done. And I, I think that's, it's, it's, it can be an easy thing to miss out on the, the kind of veggie versions of ramp as well. Yeah. I mean, cultivate and Kadama's reach are two of the most played cards in the format. Yeah. And that's the, the, yeah. a very, very good reason why, because they get the job done. They don't take up so much of your time. You can play them early or you can play them later on. You're not suffering from a huge man investment. Unlike reshape the earth, which is this massive, it's not a ramp spell. It's a win the game spell. Right. And so, there's a reason those are kind of the gold standards and they're put in every pre-con uh, product that you will ever see that has green. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, those are kind of the the reasons that you play green is you're going to accumulate so many more resources. And in a format that's about accumulating resources, green just does it better than any other color. Well, so so we've addressed this a bunch of times already. Artifacts, and it's the last thing we'll talk about here in this little category. Um, mana rocks are everywhere, but that's, mana rocks aren't the only way to necessarily ramp with artifacts. There's cards like Wayfarer's Bobble, um, relatively inexpensive, and it's a way to just go fetch you more lands in, in, in colors that aren't green. And people seem to love Burnished Heart a lot. It's in yeah. over 100,000 decks. A card that actually has blown me away recently is Navigation Orb. That card that came out in Baldur's Gate I think is just absolutely wonderful. So Navigation Orb is three mana for an artifact that you can pay two and tap it, and you sacrifice Navigation Orb to search your library for up to two basic land cards and or gate cards, reveal them, put one on the battlefield, tap the other into your hand, and then you shuffle. It's so good. It's so efficient. It saves you one mana from a burnished heart. And if you're playing three, four, five colors, this is a way it, it almost rivals Sky Shroud claim with how powerful it is because you're able to get dual lands out of this. And with the new gate cards that you saw from Baldur's Gate, the, the monocolor gates that you can pick another color, this does a ton of mana fixing, not just mana ramp, but yeah. it fixes your colors. I've been blown away with this card, both in the pre-release, I've put this in normal decks, and this has been absolutely fantastic if you're able to recur it at all. I just think that this card, if you're playing no green and you're playing multiple colors in your decks, you probably want to give Navigation Orb a, a shot. Like like I said, Burnished Heart's over 100,000 decks. I think Navigation Orb probably is better because it's one mana less. Granted, you can't attack with it, you can't block with it, all those little things. But the fact that you're able to get dual lands is quite mentionable i think yeah there's you know a handful of different variations of this whether it's something like expedition map um that lets you go get any land you want but it doesn't go into play um so it's you know kind of more of a of a tutor effect but um if you're playing a deck that has some kind of a super powerful land that you want to consistently have access to those those kind of cards do that as well mm -hmm. there's there, there's plenty of efficient ways to actually um, ramp in artifacts besides, like we said, just using mana rocks. Yeah, and as much as like Joey will again hate to bring this card up, but Stone Speaker Crystal yeah. also is very good, very very worth it. Uh, Hedron Archive is played in a ton of decks as well. Yep. And Stone Speaker Crystal, you're able to pay two mana and sacrifice it to exile any number of target players' graveyards. So you can use it politically. You can let one person keep their graveyard, but two others lose it, and then you draw a card, and that's in addition to four mana for a two mana mana rock. That's pretty pretty solid all around that's it's nothing you're going to write home about but if you're putting cards like that in where you're able to get your get what you need out of it you got the mana ramp and then later on 
okay, well, I don't really need the mana. I'm just going to use this as a weapon, mm-hmm. get rid of some graveyards and draw a card out of it. That's a fantastic trade-off. So, so there's one last thing I want to talk about here, talking about um, a, a veggies. And it's it, it, it's a lot of different categories lumped into kind of one thing. And that's mm-hmm. utility lands. And the reason I want to talk about it is it's it's very much a running joke about how few basics I run. It is. And it I absolutely do not run enough basics. But there's a reason for that. It's <laughs> not just that I'm greedy. I'm not running like a ton of dual lands in my deck and, and then not running basics because of that. The reason I don't have a ton of basics in my decks is I run a lot of vegetable style utility lands that solve problems. I run usually three different lands that can destroy other lands. The, the ghost quarters, the tectonic edges, the fields of ruin of the world. Um, you know, I, I've, I happen to have access to strip mines from back when they were relatively inexpensive. So I have strip mines index as well. Um, because people do play, you mentioned Cabal Coffers and Urborg um, in in the ramp section. People play those, or people play Nykthos, or people play even worse than that, the, the Gaia's Cradles and the Sarah Sanctums of the world. And if those are allowed to sit out, you're going to lose the game. So, like, I like to have three different ways to be able to answer someone's crazy powerful land. You know, I run Homebird Path in most of my decks. Part of that is to protect my creatures that someone may steal, but there's a lot of things in Commander that just generally steal people's stuff, and being able to turn one land sideways and counter that bribery effect or counter that Rise of the Dark Realm or that Insurrection is really, really powerful. And for me, it's worth sacrificing a basic land slot to run that homeward path and and have the the option to answer that it's not an exciting card it's not a fun card but it's a card that solves problems and and, and again since i mentioned the um the, the cards that joey doesn't want us to talk about like soul guide lantern <laughs> scavenger grounds and majukabog like if i i have scavenger grounds i believe in every single deck and if i'm playing black i have majukabog they keep me from losing games. Scavenger Grounds has kept me from losing so many games against some graveyard player. And you said Joey's not going to like it, but like those are really important to me, veggie cards that aren't particularly fun to put in decks, but it's also fun to, it's also not fun to lose either. And those keep you from losing games. Absolutely. Well, and on your point about stuff like Ghost Quarter and Tectonic Edge, I would wager once you kind of get into those power levels where you're in that precon plus, like you're, you're, it's not quite precons. You, you, you've upgraded your decks a little bit. More often than not, there's at least one land per game that you just you really need to take care of. Whether it's something like a Cabal Stronghold, even that you're able to generate a decent amount of mana in in that mono black deck or whatever it is. There's going to be one land that more often than not you don't have to get rid of it, but your opponent is benefiting from it too much to let it stay around. And so playing some of those ghost quarter effects, I do agree. I, and, and this is maybe one thing that I have learned from, from doing the podcast with you, Dana, is a lot of these kind of veggie cards like ghost quarter, field of ruin, <laughs> sure. definitely keeping at least a couple of those around because, you know, given, you know, how a game might go, you might need to put a couple of those in any given deck just because, yeah, like you said, there's there's going to be a card or two, a land or two, something comes along, you know, an Ink Moth Nexus. Well, you don't want that attacking you because that has Infect and it's up to no good. So making sure you can address a lot of these different land types of issues 
they're just fantastic. They're they're great to keep around. They're not exciting. They're not splashy. Right. But more often than not, you're going to need something that's going to, if it doesn't help you win or keep you from losing, it at least helps keep one person from running away with the game. And I think that is the important part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because at, at the end of the day, that's, you want to kind of put yourself in a position to succeed, right? And the best way to do that is to keep someone else from winning. Like you want to be around to shoot your shot when that 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 chance arrives. And in these cards and all these veggie cards that we talked about, they they aren't the ones that let you win the game, but they're they're the ones that let you survive long enough to get to that point where you can win the game. Yeah, and and that's the big thing. And I've had I have a friend who they work at Wizards Coast now. What I was trying to really grind that competitive circuit, that was their first point of advice was it doesn't matter if you win, if you can just make sure you don't lose. You'll find a way to win eventually. But if you make sure the opponent can't beat you, you'll find a way to get through that. Whether it's using that ghost quarter to blow up their infect land or whatever it is, finding all these little ways, it's not exciting. You don't love putting them in decks. You're always tempted to pull out stuff, but sometimes you just need a buried ruin to be able to recur some important artifact out of your graveyard pull it in, recast it, and make sure that you can win instead of just sitting there and, and not having anything to do. Or the War Room. Dana, I know you love War Room. One of and my favorite card, cards. It's, yeah, it's fantastic, but I don't see anybody really jazzed about it. And it's in 73,000 decks. Yeah, That is a exactly. huge amount of decks, but also it's, it's not something that people are, are excited to, to put in there. But it does so many little things right. You know, Field of the Dead, that's a, a big, splashy powerful card that people are like, oh man, Field of the Dead. Yeah. Nobody gets that same reaction when you play a War Room. It's like, okay. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I guess my, my final thought on this would be years ago, I remember hearing someone talking about like, if if you're all dressed up to go out and you you look in the mirror, you should take off whatever the first accessory that catches your eye is, so you're not overdressed. Whatever that would, I don't I don't know how true that <laughs> what? is. What? Yeah, I don't know how true that is, but I remember hearing someone say that if you're like wearing jewelry or whatever, you take off the first thing that catches your eye, right? Um, so so you 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 get a little bit more boring, I guess maybe is the is the word. I I honestly feel like if you if you look at your deck and there aren't a few boring, if everything catches your eye, <laughs> you're you're pro you probably don't have enough vegetables in your deck. If everything is fun and exciting and there aren't a few boring cards in there, you're you're gonna find yourself struggling to get to that point where you can win. You need to have some stuff that doesn't catch your eye. You need to have some boring things that make up the outfit to continue that fashion analogy, despite me knowing nothing about fashion. You're absolutely right. Sometimes you have to kind of forego some of these cards that maybe you're excited to play maybe you, you know you opened one up and and swap a fancy card for a fancy card an, a, an explosive card for an explosive card because you don't want to be sacrificing too much consistency too much yeah too many of those cards that are going to help you get from game to game where yes you may not have a story about that card but you at least are able to enable the stories to happen if that makes sense yes i, I think that those are the types of cards that you need in your deck. You're never super excited about it. Like you're, you're not going to write home like, oh, guys, guess what? I played a Karn's Bastion and it was so good in my proliferate deck. Like, oh, okay, man, cool, cool for you. But the, but those are the cards that you need to eventually. The more you play those, the more, or at least I should say, the less you cut them, the more success you yes. likely will have. Absolutely, um, for sure. Because yeah, it's super easy to cut a lot of these types of cards that we're talking about. 
But also some of these that we talked about, they're also in a ton of decks for a reason yeah. because they are powerful. They are going to help make sure that yeah. either you are going to enable the things to win or you're just not going to lose. And that's that's kind of what the point of this episode was. Just make sure you're eating your vegetables, kids, because you'll, you'll grow up big and strong like Daddy Dana. All right. I think that is probably going to wrap up uh, this episode. We might as well get out of here, Matt, before we break something. We've been successful so far. We've damaged <laughs> nothing. We've, we've been trusted with the show and not actually um, set anything on fire. So I think we should make our, our kind of graceful exit right now before we've, we've pressed our luck too far. Or I, I guess we could linger for a while with our exits and outros, but I, I guess you are right. Let's, so let's, let's wrap it up here. So if you want to find us on social media, you can do so. Uh, I am over on Twitter at Mathemus55. You can find me there or you can find us. Don't forget we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDH Recast. Every Wednesday evening, we are streaming with guests. They're always super fun. The games are quite memorable and you can see all the veggies that we've talked about and more Wednesday evenings, twitch.tv slash EDH Recast. And I am Dana Roach. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I am writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And if you would like to follow the, the podcast, you can do so. Find us on Twitter at EDH Recast. You can send us an email, EDHRecast at gmail.com. And don't forget, as always, make sure you EDH Rec your deck before you wreck your deck. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.